0: All of those books are available on Amazon as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. The biggest leap of
1: faith was saying goodbye to my friends, family, comfort, the full time job offer, all of it, and just saying, I'm going to follow my heart and move to LA to pursue acting at all. That to me, Like I had such close friends. I have none of them now. None of my Hmm. friends that I had pre-spiritual awakening are in my life now. And I felt that risk even then. Like what happens if I move away from all of these people? What happens if I move away from my family? What about wasting time? Here I am, one of the most promising young employees in this ad agency and know that I would crush this. I have a bright career ahead of me here. If I want to move into advertising and to say no to all of that and go and live in my aunt and uncle's garage to pursue an acting career was the first time in my life that I made a decision that didn't make logical sense, but Mm -hmm. was what my heart was calling me towards. And that set in motion really a foundational belief that that's more important than anything. And Mm -hmm. so from that moment forward, I've been following my heart.
0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to The Light Watkins Show with yours truly, Light Watkins. If this is your first time here, I interview ordinary people just like you and me who've taken extraordinary leaps of faith, often in the direction of their path their purpose, or their mission. And in doing so, they've been able to positively impact the lives of many others who've either heard about their story or who've witnessed them in action or who've directly benefited from their work. And today, I'm in conversation with a friend of mine who is a spoken word poet and lifestyle and business coach named Adam Roa. I met Adam years ago in the Los Angeles wellness scene, and I've always known him to be Someone who has lived life on his own terms. Adam graduated with honors from Arizona State University, and he had a job in advertising for a minute, but then he decided to go off the beaten path and try his hand at acting. So he drove to L.A. and he started living in his aunt and uncle's garage. And as most actors do, Adam worked a string of non-acting jobs such as fitness trainer, waiting tables, bartending, etc., and then one night in Santa Monica, Adam goes to a Fred Talk, not to be confused with TED Talk. So a Fred Talk is an event that was developed by a Santa Monica local named Stephen Glenn, who is a developer of Eco-Friendly Homes. And they were modeled after TED Talks. And on this particular night, Adam saw someone get up and do spoken word poetry. And he was inspired to go home and write some poetry of his own. And this is where Adam's acting background came in really handy because he had already been practicing his stage presence and he wrote this poem called You Are Who You've Been Looking For. And he didn't think much of it until he started performing it in these little one-man shows that he started putting together for 30 people here, 40 people there. And then cut to a couple years later, Adam was invited to attend transformational comedian Kyle Cease's Evolving Out Loud workshop with 1400 other people. Adam came to the event and he's just sitting in the audience minding his own business when Kyle, who's the host, and he knew about Adam's poetry stuff, he invited Adam to come up on the stage and say a poem. So Adam gets up and starts reciting the poem that he wrote after seeing that one poet at Fred Talks in Santa Monica and he kills it. He had practiced that poem hundreds and maybe even a thousand times at that point, but he sat down and he didn't think much else about it. Meanwhile, the event was being recorded with multiple cameras. And then shortly after that, Goldcast reached out to Adam to ask if they could take some of that footage from that event and create an inspirational clip out of Adam's performance. And that was the beginning of Adam's new role, so to speak, as this amazing spoken word poet, because the clip that Goldcast put together ended up getting hundreds of millions of views. And Adam basically went from this no-name actor with 3,000-something followers on social media to one of the most recognized and requested spoken word poets With over 140,000 followers. And over the past several years, he has become very much a wellness influencer. He's become a coach. He created a community literally called Create. He's got a book. He's got two podcasts. And most recently, he's launched a relationship course called The Art of Breaking Up. So, this was a very fascinating look at what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And I think you're really going to love Adam's outlook on life when you hear his side of his own origin story in his words. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to spoken word poet extraordinaire, Mr. Adam Roa. Adam, thank you so much for joining my podcast, man. It's good to see you again. We haven't really Chatted since the whole George Floyd thing. I came onto your Instagram and we talked about social justice for a little bit. But then you've been doing your thing, I've been doing my thing, and I know for me, the pandemic was one of my most creative periods. And I'm fortunate in that I got to have the time and space to do that. I know a lot of people weren't in that position, trying to hold on to businesses and homeschool kids and stuff. And I imagine for you, it was kind of the same thing. It was a very creative period for you. It's funny, the creative period, I really launched the CREATE
1: community uh, during, <laughs> right. during that time. Um, literally CREATE. Literally. Uh, and the create community.com, It's it stands for the Collective Renaissance of Education, Art, Transformation, and Entertainment.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
1: really, to me, I never wanted to have an online community. It was not actually the thing. I had a social media, but... I was actually planning on going back on tour because I've toured my spoken word poetry and one man show through Canada, Australia, the United States. And I did all that before I ever had really a large social media following. And Mm -hmm. then my poem went viral in 2018. And suddenly I had this social media following and I wanted to go back on tour. And instead of doing 30, 40 person shows. I wanted to do 150, 200 person shows. I said, this is the time. This is going capitalize on this momentum. <laughs> and I hired a company to support me with planning that tour and getting sponsors and brand mm-hmm. partnerships and all of that. And COVID hit in the first two weeks. And so the tour obviously canceled, shut down. And I just looked around at all these people I'd hired and went, all right. What do people need right now? They need a place to come together. No one knows what's happening. At the very beginning of this thing, everyone, it was kind of like the walking dead. I was going to this grocery store with gloves on and no one knew what was going on. And so I just created this online community and it was completely self-funded for the first three months. And then it became, how do I keep this thing going? Because it, it really has legs. And so that has been a journey. But from a creative standpoint, the creativity went so different. I think from a lot of people's perspective, being on tour, on stage, writing poetry, performing, that's creative. That was me pre-pandemic. During the pandemic, it grounded me and I ended up putting on kind of like an entrepreneurial hat of launching a community, building a a business. What does that look like? So it was creative, but in an entirely different way for me.
0: What platform did you go with for your community? Because I was in the same boat. I created a community and I was like researching platform. So I'm just curious.
1: We wound up using Mighty Networks. and Okay. Same um, with me. Yeah. We did Mighty Networks and blended that with Zoom and with like our events all happened on Zoom. Mighty Networks was kind of a place where we hosted the calendar and all these things. And then we had a Facebook Mm -hmm. group for the Create Community, which we still have, which has thousands of people in it, which was where we really communicated more often.
0: You get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is happy. All right, back to the episode. Well, I want to loop back around to that, but first I want to get into your origin story, your superhero origin story. (laughs) So you grew up in California. Which part of California did you grow up in?
1: I was born in Glendora, California, which is out sort of by Pasadena. I was there and then I moved to Orange County when I was in third grade. And then in sixth grade, I moved to Arizona, where I went all the way through Arizona State University, graduated, and then moved back to California.
0: You were a wrestler at Arizona State. Does that mean that... Chandler High School. Oh, that was in in high school. school. Okay. 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 Were you gifted
1: as a wrestler? Yeah, yeah. you saw, me, bro. You remember Tulum when I got tackled by by all <laughs> you dudes out in the beach? Yeah, absolutely. I got skills in that way. Although the reason I got into wrestling, I got into it in junior high school, and it was because I was such a late bloomer and such a small kid that wrestling was the only sport where I could really play against people, my own size. What's interesting about that is when I got into my freshman year of high school, I weighed 73 pounds. Wow. Freshman year of high school. And the lowest weight class is 103 pounds. So I got hurt a bunch my freshman year, but I also played freshman football and they didn't even have pads that fit me. And you should see the the photo of me where the pads are like all the way up to my ears because they just didn't have pads that really fit me because I was so small, but I always had that mentality. And you know, by my junior year, I was on the Arizona national team as a wrestler. And then when I was at Arizona State, I started training mixed martial arts. And I thought I was going to get into the whole UFC cage fighting direction. But then I started falling in love with acting and decided to move out to LA to pursue an acting career. And in training one day, this dude split his eye open and had to get stitches. And I just went, I should probably stop getting hit in the face if I want to pursue an acting career. And so that kind of ended my aspirations for cage fighting.
0: Do you remember any sort of life philosophies or mindsets that you had to adopt in the wrestling world and that you still kind of draw from today in the way you move through the world? Yeah, I think a lot
1: of the most successful people I know just from a, not just material success, but just mindset success. People who really seem to be happy and and doing well. Mm -hmm. It's very common to have an athletic background. Even if it's just high school athletics or college athletics, that athletic background to me is a mindset training that is so important. I think that learning how to lose and quote unquote fail is a big one, especially with wrestling, where you can't blame anybody else. That's you and one other person, your own size, and that person beat you. Wow. And one of the things for me that actually happened later, but was so valuable was I always thought of myself as the hardest working person on my team. And I was wrestling, like we would do cardio in the mornings before school, then I'd be spitting in a cup throughout the day to cut weight. And then I would go to practice And then after practice, I would go home, do my homework, and then put on all the trash bag sweatsuits and go and run four miles. And I would do that almost every day. And then on weekends, I would go in and wrestle. In the off-season, I'd be wrestling, freestyle wrestling, Greco-Roman wrestling. And I just thought, I'm working harder than everyone around me. But I was a good wrestler. I wasn't a great wrestler. And I just Accepted that I was good because I was one of the best on the team. I was a captain, I, all these things. Then later in life, maybe 25, I watched this documentary about this high school wrestling team in New Jersey or somewhere like that. And these kids would go to school, do all the same stuff. And then they would go over to each other's houses where they had wrestling mats in the basement and they would spend all day. Like that's what they did to hang out. They wrestled for fun. That's how they spent their fun time. Mm. For me, it was always with a goal in mind, but it was never something that was like, let me get together with my friends and wrestle for fun. And (laughs) I realized in hindsight, I didn't have a reference point for greatness. Mm. I didn't actually have anyone on my team or any of, of the people around me that I could look at and go, wow, that's what it takes to be great. And I'm 37 now. So this is before YouTube was a, a big thing. And you could see all these motivational videos and see how Kobe Bryant works and all of these things. It it wasn't like that. And so I was in this bubble of thinking I was outworking everyone. And only later did I realize, oh, there was a whole nother gear and a whole nother level mm. I've been hitting. And so one of the most powerful things that I ever learned from athletics came after I was done. And now I apply that by looking around me and saying, where's the greatness around me? Who Mm -hmm. are the people that are inspiring to me? If I have to listen to podcasts or whatever, how do I make sure that I have a reference point for what the most inspiring people are actually doing and what that looks like? Because I didn't have it when I was younger. And that's not a regret, but I wish I did. And I wonder what my potential would have been had I had that.
0: It reminds me of the Emerson quote, our chief want is for someone to inspire us to be what we know we can be. Mm, I love that quote. Our chief want is <laughs> to have someone that inspires us to be to be can. what we know we can be. Because a lot of times you don't even know that something is possible until you meet somebody who's done it or who's doing it. It's kind of like the Roger Bannister you know model, which is after he broke the record for the four-minute mile, everybody and their mother was doing it Like shortly after that. Yeah, people listening to this might be younger. It's
1: like the Tony Hawk and the 1080.
0: What's that reference?
1: Tony Hawk on a half pipe did Mm -hmm. a 1080 and no one had ever done one. And then, same thing, he does one. And then all of a sudden, all these people are doing them. And Mm -hmm. it's just that morphogenic field of what's possible. And I think that similarly, it's why the coaching industry is such a big deal and why I believe in in having mentors and coaches because literally the belief of one person in you. Mm -hmm can change the entire trajectory of your life. Mm -hmm. Just one person who really believes and sees you maybe even more than you see yourself, that person who believes in you, even when you don't believe in yourself, that is an invaluable thing to have. And anyone listening to this, if you you don't have that in your life, if you don't have a person who, who really believes in you that deeply, hire them beg someone to be your mentor go and find that person that one person because it will it'll change your life
0: you ended up going to ASU you graduated with honors as you were entering into that phase of your life into the university phase what was your idea of success It's funny that you say this because that was
1: actually the turning point of my idea for success. So I'm the son of an immigrant. My father is from the Philippines and he immigrated to this country. So I was raised with that sort of mentality of, I came here with nothing and gave you everything, so you better conquer the world. Mm -hmm. And the measure of that is material success and achievement. That's how it was measured in my family. And so what was interesting is... Entering high school at 73 pounds and less than like five feet tall. My, by the way, my dad is five, five, my mom is five foot. So I literally just went, I'm screwed. I am, I, <laughs> from a genetic lottery standpoint, I am just absolutely screwed. And I've wound up being just shy of six feet tall, which my mom says was pure willpower, just refused <laughs> to accept any other reality. And the journey of being such a late bloomer, I entered high school, went, okay. I'm not the dude that's going to be the sexy jock. Okay, got it. I loved acting as a kid. I was acting in school plays and things like that. And I went, I'm never going to be good looking enough to be a movie star. So I got to give that up too. So what am I going to do? I'm going to use my mind. I'm very smart and I'm charismatic. I'm a class clown. I'm always rambunctious and talking. So I'm going to be massively successful. I'm going to be rich as fuck. And that idea of just being materialistically stereotypically successful was how I felt like I would validate myself, how I would attract women into my life, how I would be happy. And so I did, I won high school. I won high school. By the time I graduated high school, one, I'd hit puberty. So that was great. And I'd grown. And also, I got an academic scholarship to college. I was president of DECA. It was this club that where I had won third place in an international competition. I was part of the student body council and, and leading assemblies. I was dating the super hot girl in the school. And I won homecoming king. And homecoming king to me was the mountaintop because at that time, the movies like varsity blues and she's all that and all the things I'm like, all right, every girl in school is going to want me now. And all of their hot moms are going to want me now. Cause that's what the movies show. And I woke up the next morning and just was so shocked that nothing had changed. That I was still insecure, that I was still unhappy, that I still had such inner turmoil. And what made it worse is I didn't have an idea of something that would actually change it. Mm -mm. I no longer had this idea in my head that if I just check all these boxes, I'm going to be happy. And I think that that's one of the things that really screws with people is there's this idea that if we check the boxes that somehow along the way, we're going to find happiness or we're going to accidentally stumble into happiness once that checklist is complete. So at 18 years old, winning homecoming king and waking up and going, what the hell? I was blessed to nature, nurture, whatever divine intervention, start to question everything that they had told me would make me happy. And so I still went to college. By my sophomore year, I wanted to drop out, but I was on scholarship and it just felt somewhat like a bad decision to do that. But I had started questioning this idea of getting a career and a family and becoming wealthy and that I would be happy. I didn't want to be 45 and realizing I'd spent my entire life pursuing something that just left me with this empty feeling that I was experiencing at 18. And so when you ask me what, was kind of the metrics of, of success. That was the time that it shifted for me. And entering into college, I suddenly had a very skeptical view and I was in the inquiry of what success
0: actually would mean. Did you have any mentors at that moment in time to help you shape your idea of what success could potentially be? Did you have an Obi-Wan Kenobi figure in your life? I did not. And the closest thing that
1: I had, my cousin who was older than me but I don't know how, how much older than I me mean, he was at the time when I was 18. He's probably like 24. He gave me a book because I just went to visit in California and I was telling him about what I'd been going through, a breakup at the time with being cheated on and all of this stuff. And I was just opening up to him a little bit. And he recommended a book to me. And the book is called The Road Less Traveled. Mm. And I believe it's by Robert Peck or something. I'm not, I am not—I can't remember. It's been a while. But that was the first book that on my own, I went and bought based in personal development and just read it and started looking at things because that covered relationships and career and just started to ask the questions. And so I didn't have a mentor, but I did have at least that moment and that book. And once I realized, oh... I can just start reading books. That was a big part of my awakening journey at that stage of my life.
0: So when you were pursuing the acting, how did your dad feel about that? Was there any pushback from your family?
1: I've always been really independent. You can't really tell me what to do. (laughs) So there's that (laughs) aspect. But I always had this feeling, and I think I spoke to this on other podcasts as well, that my dad... It wouldn't have mattered how successful I was as an actor. My dad always mm-hmm. would have been more proud had I been a doctor, a lawyer, or something like that. Especially coming from an Asian culture, right? Doctor, mm-hmm. my my son's a doctor. Um, <laughs> I think I think that, and I had the ability to really choose anything. I recognize the blessing of my intellect and my drive. I could have chosen any career path, and so picking acting, one of the most difficult careers to really try and pursue and, and create a living from was, I think for him, sort of just a moonshot sort of thing. And that I would wake up and and not do it anymore and come back home and all of that stuff. I don't know how seriously he took it.
0: So as you're reading these books and you're exploring acting, were you more of an actor who was dabbling in personal development or were you more of like a Personal development philosopher who was dabbling in acting. Like, where did your heart lie?
1: Oh, I was an actor who took mushrooms. That's, <laughs> that's, that's you want to define me. I was an actor who loved exploring my consciousness. I, I remember uh, the first time I tried mushrooms. I was 18 years old, and the guys that I had taken it with my friends at the time. They took it a few more times. We did it maybe through college on and off. And I was the one who would do it by myself with a bunch of paper and write notes and thoughts down. I was the one who just saw it as an entryway into a whole nother universe and understanding. I wasn't spiritual, by the way, at the time. I didn't uh-huh. have the spiritual beliefs at all. I'd been raised in the Catholic Church, and I was so against spirituality and religion, all that stuff. But I saw it as opening my mind to whole new possibilities and ideas and ways of thinking. And the rest of my friends stopped. They just they were good once they graduated college and they got real jobs and that sort of thing. And I just went off the deep end. But for me, acting was personal development. That's the thing where I don't separate the two. What is personal development? At its core personal development is an exploration of one's emotions to understand what causes them and how to shift them into the more the direction that you want to go. And so that's acting. Acting is, is literally breaking down characters into what are they feeling in this moment? Why are they feeling it in this moment? Literally making up entire backstories about what they went through in childhood and, and whatever in order to become this character that I'm now reading this as part of this script. I was putting together patterns of behavior and childhood memories that didn't actually exist. They weren't a part of the script, but making them up. And so in a way, I was the exploration of emotions and consciousness and pattern recognition and all of the things that are now such a huge part of what I do as a coach and as a thought leader. Well, that came from acting and and acting was my personal development journey.
0: So walk us through those earlier years of acting. Did you have the whole, you know, I drove to LA back to home with, you know, slept in my car and you know, went to auditions and worked at a. I know you were a personal trainer for a while. Like, was that a part of just trying to make ends meet, or how did that whole thing play out? I moved
1: to Los Angeles. I lived in my aunt and uncle's garage. Okay. Behind,
0: behind their house, behind the washer and dryer.
1: Though they, they had a this like garage in the back that they'd converted to have like a bathroom in it and a little area that I just called home. And, I worked in a restaurant when I first got there and I was alone. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anyone. And I wasn't in LA where you go out. I was out in El Monte, California. That just like, sounds far away. Yeah, man. It was, it was far. And I did professional theater play all the way in San Pedro, which was like a two hour drive to get there each way. And I would drive right. for rehearsals and then drive back and it was the grind. It was the struggle. And I had this belief deep down that the cream rises to the top, right? So I'm just going to be the best I possibly can. And I took that work ethic. To give you an idea of how my mindset worked, I I had a job at an ad agency. I was a paid intern that was offered a full-time job when I graduated college. And I said, no, in order to start serving at an Italian restaurant and then bartending at this Italian restaurant, just so I could have bartending serving experience for when I moved to Los Angeles and figured I would have to be a waiter and wanted, like, I still had that mindset of how do I do this and set myself up for success? How do I do this really well? And I took that approach to acting, but there's so much more than just talent. That goes into acting and the acting world and building a career there. And ultimately, years in, I had been humbled so deeply. I'd been beaten up so badly from that industry that it led me to my spiritual awakening. Because they say where the, the cracks are, where the light gets in. I had had so much success at an early age in so many different things that I thought I had life figured out. And acting was the great equalizer for me to go you might not have this thing figured out and that led to just pure desperation of i will do anything what do i need to do how do i figure this out and ultimately that would lead me to ayahuasca and a spiritual awakening
0: and set me on the path i'm on now you know i used to be in the modeling industry in new york city i worked at a restaurant made pretty decent money working at that restaurant and i ended up being fortunate enough to book an advertising campaign with The Gap. And I remember one day I was waiting tables and I saw my face on the side of a bus. And I was like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. That campaign didn't really pay a whole lot of money. And I thought to myself, this is it. This is my time. I have to take this leap of faith away from the safety of the restaurant job. And into this unknown of, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm hoping for the best. Did you have a moment where you pulled the plug, you hit the eject button on the comfort of your bartending and the restaurants and all of that, and you you took the leap of faith? For me,
1: the biggest leap of faith was saying goodbye to my friends, family, comfort, the full-time job offer, all of it, and just saying, I'm going to follow my heart. And moved to LA to pursue acting at all. That to me, like I had such close friends. I have none of them now. None of my Mm. friends that I had pre-spiritual awakening are in my life now. And I felt that risk even then. Like what happens if I move away from all of these people? What happens if I move away from my family what about wasting time? Here I am one of the most promising young employees in this ad agency and know that I would crush this. I have a bright career ahead of me here if I want to move into advertising. And to say no to all of that and go and live in my aunt and uncle's garage to pursue an acting career was the first time in my life that I made a decision that didn't make logical sense, but Mm -hmm. was what my heart was calling me towards. And that set in motion, really a foundational belief that that's more important than anything. And Mm -hmm. so from that moment forward, I've been following my heart. And sometimes it takes a little longer for me to figure out what my heart is calling for. But I think that was the real big moment of that. And the next one for me was when I had the spiritual awakening and I said, unwilling to put my energy into anything that perpetuates fear on this planet, I can't do it. And so I went and told my acting manager and agents, and I said, I am no longer willing to audition for CSI or any horror films, or fast food commercials with factory farmed stuff. I'm just not willing to do any of these things anymore, which is 90% of everything that goes out in Hollywood, especially in those early stages of building a career. And so it effectively ended my acting career.
0: What was your first exposure to poetry?
1: (laughs) I was actually in Santa Monica at an event called Fred Talks. Fred Talks.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, with Steve.
1: Yeah, at his
0: house. At his house. I was probably there, man. What, really? Do you remember what year that was? Yeah. I used to live right around the corner from Steve and would go to his Fred Talks on occasion.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I would say, if I had to guess, I would say probably around 2016. Yeah. And I went to one of his Fred Talks events. And at these events, there's a bunch of speakers. They all get five minutes, basically. And the last person to go was a spoken word poet. And I don't know how, but I had never heard spoken word poetry before. As soon as he started performing, there was like this light that went off in, in my head, a lightning bolt. And I just said, I can do that. I can do that. And I went home that night and I wrote my first spoken word piece. And I shared it with some friends the next day. And I said, hey, I just did this thing. I think it's pretty good. And I read it to them. And one they said, that's really good. Cool. And then my friend who was listening said, your next one should be called You Are Who You've Been Looking For. And Uh. I went, okay. And I went home and in 48 hours, I wrote my second ever piece, which is You Are Who You've Been Looking For, which is the poem that years later would go on to be viewed more than 200 million times. It went so viral and it launched my career in a lot of ways publicly. And it was the second piece I ever wrote. And it was because my
0: friend gave me the title. Do you remember who the poet was at the Fred talk that you got inspired by? I'll have to look up his name. It definitely wasn't like NQ or anybody like that. It 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 wasn't
1: NQ. It's a white dude and he's done some really great ones. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to look it up because I want to give him credit for inspiring me for sure.
0: At this point, you obviously, you know, memorize monologues and stuff in your acting career. So that was just kind of a part of the whole deal. So when you started identifying as a spoken word poet, was that part of the process? You already kind of had all that locked into place, like I write this thing, I memorize it, I say it, I use the art of tonality and presence and emotion behind it. And so did you find that that was one of the reasons why you were more of, or you came off as more of a natural than maybe your average person who decides I'm going to be a spoken word poet? I'd like to think so. I'd like to
1: think that that's part of the reason why people appreciate my delivery of any kind of content, including this podcast. Because we're in an era of anyone with a social media page can voice their opinions and talk into their phone and put out videos and regurgitate information that they read in a book about the four agreements or whatever. And I have such aversion to being put in that category. And I know a lot of people who've, they've, they've come to follow me over the years, they not be aware of this, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that I spent over a decade of my life professionally training as a performer and as a writer and as an actor. I mean, I've written feature length films and web series and directed music videos. There's a whole background of storytelling and performance that was a huge part of my life. It, it was my first love. And so... I bring a lot of that into how I speak and how I perform definitely. And the process of spoken word poetry is very much storytelling to me. It's it's like, write. let me sit down and write a short film. Great, awesome. Or a scene. Writing poetry is the same way. And then you memorize it. And then as you're memorizing it, you notice where certain emotion wants to rise up, where it is. Every time you deliver, it, it gets to be different. A lot of times you get poets that, Say their poems the same way every single time, well, my background as a in theater you gotta do the same play a hundred times. From rehearsals to actually performances, how do you keep that fresh? How do you keep that new? That's actually a skill that a lot of actors have to learn and struggle with. How do you keep something new when you're saying it for the hundredth time? So all of that carried over into the the spoken word poetry realm and I see it as spoken word poetry bringing together my my study of personal development and my life coaching quote unquote coaching business, whatever, and all of the things that I was teaching, but done in an artistic way, which I think brings in a whole other element that makes it more powerful and actually can shift people a lot more quickly and more deeply when they receive it as art, as opposed to feeling like they're listening to a logical lecture.
0: you also had that sort of eight month long vision quest where you went all around the world and, you know, you sold off all your stuff, you went home free and that that probably I'm imagining it contributed to your openness and to the things that you wanted to express and maybe your development of your insight around these topics that really landed and hit home. You're doing uh, research, bro. What is (laughs) Tim Ferriss over here? (laughs) (laughs) So just kind of walk us through that period in 2015. Why did you decide to give everything up? And how did you end up at Kyle's Evolving Out Loud to perform your second poem ever?
1: You really got this research. I I love this. This is impressive. So I was in a partnership at the time and we had gone through a spiritual awakening and we were watching. I got to give credit to Ty Lopez of all people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, with my, my spiritual awakening, pre-spiritual awakening, I was personal training and acting and I would come home from personal training day. I would smoke some weed and me and my partner would like eat and watch Grey's Anatomy or Lost or whatever. Just go Netflix binging for hours.
0: Those weed shows.
1: Yeah, to absolutely, watch we totally. Weed. You don't know how Golden good Grey's Girls. Anatomy is until you're right. high. And so post-awakening, it was very similar. I went to personal training and acting, and then I would come home and I would smoke weed with my partner and we would eat and we would watch spiritual YouTube videos. Mm. And we would watch personal development videos, Matt Con, Teal Swan, all kinds of stuff and spirit science and all of it. And then we would pause things and we would talk about them. And I had this partner that I was learning with. It was like we were in school together, and. In one of the videos, Ty Lopez's Lamborghini garage ad mm-hmm. comes up, and that thing's like fifteen minutes long, and we're just watching it, probably because we're just too stoned to change anything. And just, well, this is interesting. And then it was click here to get the next webinar thing, so we click there and we're watching it. And he says, "You're the some of the five people that you spend the most time with," and he invited us to make a list of those five people. And we realized, wow, we don't have anyone that we are looking to for guidance or mentorship. We just entered into this new chapter of spirituality. There were no guides for us. And that was a huge aha moment. And we ended up deciding to take action on that. And and this is what's important for everyone to understand is just because you become aware of something, if you don't take action on it, nothing's going to change. Mm -hmm. And so we took the action to go to a retreat in Costa Rica and at this personal development retreat, we'd never been to anything like it. And we'd never been to Costa Rica before. And while we were there, we ran into two facilitators who are friends of yours and mine, Preston Smiles and Alexi. (laughs) They were facilitators at this retreat and they were really just starting, you know, their coaching careers and um, have gone on to make massive impact in our Epic Humans And we just vibed, you know, we just became really fast friends and we all lived in LA. So once we got back to LA, we just started hanging out and whatever. And fast forward to I'm a groomsman in in Preston's wedding and you and I get to meet in Tulum, right? That's where we got to meet. And they invited my partner and I at the time to go on tour with them to Australia, where they were going to be facilitating some workshops. And they said, we'd love to have you come and facilitate with us and be support facilitators. And we just said, okay, yeah, let's do that. And that looked like giving away 75 to 80% of everything we owned, literally just posting on social media, come get free stuff. We post on Craigslist. We just put it out in the back, come take whatever you want. And I'm talking a snowboard like just gave it all away, man. And the only thing we kept was like a couch and the TV and bigger furniture items. And we went on the road. And we went on the road. And everyone thought we were crazy because we had just launched our coaching businesses. And we've only ever lived in LA. That's who knows us. We have no social media following. So how are you going to start a business halfway around the world? But we just trusted. And really, that leap of faith from moving out to pursue acting to that moment of saying, you know what, even though it doesn't make sense and I have no idea how I'm going to pay my anything next month, I'm going to give up my personal training business. I'm going to give away my items and I'm going on the road here. And the rest is kind of history, man, just sharing the journey. I just started sharing the journey along the way. And that ultimately would lead to all of the social media and podcasts and, and all of the things.
0: Is that how Kyle discovered you is through that circle or through your social media?
1: So Kyle Cease, shout out to him. I was the host for an online summit on behalf of a very large Facebook page. And I interviewed Kyle. Mm-hmm. And so Kyle and I just hit it off. Same thing. Just game recognized game. What can I say? I just really <laughs> like Kyle. He's, he's, a, he's a real one. and And I'm going to always shout that out. Every experience I've ever had of Kyle is he's the real deal. And we hit it off and he invited me to an event that he was having in two weeks called Evolving Out Loud at Kodak Theater. He's like, come, or is this a different theater actually? And he said, come to it. I'll give you two tickets and I'd love to have you as a guest. And to really shorten that story, because it's a great story, but just for time's sake, I ended up getting pulled up on stage, unplanned by Kyle. And he said, do you want to do a poem? And I said, sure. And I got on stage and I did the poem and his team had all these cameras, you know, they filmed it, they edited it together, sent it to me and I posted it on my social media and it got 500,000 views, which was cool at the time for me, that was massive. And then Goalcast, the large motivational content company found it and just asked permission to make their own version of it. And I said, sure. Sure. And they made it. And that went on to get over 200 million views.
0: How many times did you perform that poem before Kyle pulled you on stage? That's a really great question
1: because a lot of people overlook this. I'd had already been touring my poetry internationally. Okay, So I created a one-man show called Permission to Think Freely that I toured with no social media. I mean, I might have had 3,000 Instagram followers and I was doing shows of like 30 people, 50 people. The largest show I did was 150 and that was in LA because that was my, my homies, but usually around 50 people. And I did that in Australia, Canada, and the United States. I even got brought out to the Middle East to do it. I was already putting energy in to me as a poet. And performing already. I, w- I was losing money. I didn't make money on these tours. I just, I loved it. And so I was already performing regularly. I was ready for that opportunity.
0: How are you getting people in there? Even getting thirty people is quite impressive for, you know, having three thousand followers, and you're all over the world. Did you have outside promoters you were working with? Like, what? Let's say someone else is listening to this and they think, you know, I've got a one man show idea. What? How would they even begin to execute that? A worldwide tour with well, no I followers.
1: I think it's honestly the thousand loyal fan idea. You know, okay. which which is I don't know if it's Tim Ferriss or where that comes from, but this Derek idea Silvers. Of- Derek Silver is great. Well, you don't need a million followers. If you have a thousand loyal fans, you can create a beautiful life for yourself because they will buy your tickets to your shows. They will buy your courses. They will buy your mastermind. You don't need that many people. Launch a $100 offering and have it be, have a thousand people that want to buy it. That's a big deal right there. And so I think that for me, my following, at the time that I was doing that, I was doing six figures in my coaching business through high-end one-on-one coaching. Mm -hmm. And so I say that, that's an important piece too, because you don't need a ton of followers. You just need people who are ride or die. And from the very beginning, I was sharing so vulnerably and so openly about what I was learning. I wasn't trying to be an expert. I was just saying, yo, I'm putting all my stuff in storage and giving it away and just going on the road. I don't know what to do here. And then here's what I'm learning about manifestation. And here's a struggle that I'm having right now. And I just, this was before Facebook live. This was before Instagram. I didn't even have an Inst or yeah, no, this is right about the time of Instagram. I just started Instagram. So like there wasn't as much noise as there is now. And to upload videos on Facebook, you had to actually record them and then upload them. There was no Mm -hmm. Facebook live. And so it was a good combination of there wasn't a ton of it happening at the time. I was being encouraged. I had encouragement from Preston and Alexi, who were constantly like, bro, shoot a video here you know how Preston is. Preston's like, shoot a video, give me your camera, go. And like to have him while we were traveling together through Bali, et cetera, to just really force me into that mentality and to see how him and Alexi did it everywhere all the time was really, again, coming back full circle to having a reference of greatness, Mm -hmm. being able to see how they were doing it and go, wow, okay, if that's what they're doing, how do I want to do it? That's true to me, but at least I have a reference point for what a hustle looks like. And so- When I toured, I just had enough loyal fans. And what's funny about this light is I question now whether I have more or not. (laughs) Like my following was like 3,000 Instagram followers. Cool. I now have 143,000 Instagram followers, but do I have those ride or dies who are going to come to the show? Because I'm going back Mm -hmm. on the road. I'm going back on the road in November. And then I'm going to go on tour, like officially on tour again next year. And I wonder, Mm -hmm. do I have the capacity, the ability to fill 150, 250 seats? Because that's what I want to do. And it's interesting. Part of the reason why I'm going and doing these live events in November is because I need to know. I want to know if I'm doing them in Austin, New York, and Miami. And I'm like, do I have people who really want to come and, and hear my poetry and what I have to say? Do I have that now? Because it is a lot of noise and mm-hmm. it is a very different mindset. And everyone with an Instagram page seems to be selling a course or a, their coaching packages or whatever. I notice that. And I don't know if people perceive me to be just one of those or if they see me as an artist or I'm not sure how I'm perceived anymore, bro. It's been two
0: years since I've been on the road. Two questions about that moment that was sort of like your launch pad to at least social media stardom. When you got up there and you were, you were saying your poem that you had said many times before, did you feel in that moment, if you can remember, did you feel in that moment that you were killing it? And were you surprised that it got such a viral reception afterward?
1: One, I knew I was killing it. <laughs> How did you know though? How did you know you were killing it? Just experience, just experience okay. of all the times on stage. I really mm, the reps. That. No, yeah, the reps of knowing when I'm in the pocket or not. Also the audience was very Much active, you know. They were screaming out. You can hear them in 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 the audio of the the poem. Fourteen hundred people. Yeah, yeah. When you watch that video, you can hear them like, yeah, and I got a standing ovation from fourteen hundred people. Like Mm. it was great. And I screwed up a line. What's funny is that the poem that went viral, that two hundred million people have seen, that literally people have gotten tattoos of. There are people who have gotten tattoos of of some of the lines in that poem. I screwed up a line. And I, and it's not the way that it it was meant to be said. And I've seen people get the mess up line tattooed and I go, wow, how interesting that that would happen. And so I still judge myself for that. I still go, damn it. How did that happen? But yeah, I knew that I was crushing it. I was so excited. I love to perform. And did it surprise me that it went so viral? Absolutely. Goalcast does huge videos and it broke a bunch of their records. It did 40 million views in 48 hours. It Mm -hmm. it went bananas. But the thing that's crazy about it is it wasn't my event. It wasn't planned. I wasn't the one to shoot it. It wasn't my camera crew. I didn't edit it. The final version that went viral. I didn't edit that. I didn't reach out to them. It wasn't even on my platform. It was on their platform, the Goalcast platform. So literally... When we talk about the universe just pouring in some abundance and and various things, the ideas that people have of what it needs to look like are such a tiny fraction of what's actually possible. How long is it going to take for you to earn a million dollars? I got paid a million dollars for a one-year coaching contract that I was told in an ayahuasca ceremony was going to happen. And five days later, I had a million dollars transferred to me in one lump sum for a one-year coaching contract the idea of what it takes to make a million dollars, the idea of what it takes to go viral, the idea of what it takes to build a social media following. I am living proof that it can come in the most crazy ways. It can Mm -hmm. come so unexpected, but what is true about all of those things that have happened in my life, including this viral poem that I just shared, I had very little to do with, but at the same time, I also shared that I had been touring, losing money, just being on tour. I had been training as a performer for a decade of my life. I had been hosting online summits and creating relationships. And I was memorized and ready to go when that opportunity came. The energy that I had already put into myself and my career as a performer and poet, the world just hadn't caught up yet. I tell these stories because it's like. Yes, it can happen in the craziest way and you still got to put in the energy. You still got to put in the work. It may just come in different forms.
0: The other thing is when you get that many views for something that you create it And you're coming off the heels of getting 30 people in the room. Now you're speaking in front of 1,400 people. It also, just to go back to what we talked about earlier, it expands your view of the possibilities and you literally begin to adopt this new sort of identity. Like, I am this person who speaks to this many people. And I am this person who is able to affect positively hundreds of millions of people. And I am the kind of person that can command a million-dollar contract for my coaching, right? and so those experiences, which are not linear, as you, as you noted, they have a tendency to kind of increase your capacity of what you're attracting. And you may find that you start attracting even more opportunities, more effortlessly than you got that first one, just because you now adopt the mindset of what it's like to be that person. That's such a great point, Light. And honestly, that started the
1: biggest move around that was moving to Encinitas when I did with my previous partner where Mm. our rent at the time Uh up in LA had been like $2,100 a month split between the two of us. And we knew we needed to leave for the same reasons that I've talked about before, which was all our friends at the time in the kind of LA Venice area, they were amazing humans that all wanted to change the world, but they were all trying to figure out how to pay their rent. That was just the crowd we were in, the age we were in, all of it. And with Encinitas, we were invited into this community of amazing humans who wanted to change the world, who were millionaires, and who were doing really big things. And we wanted to be around that. We wanted that reference point. And so we made the decision to move out to Encinitas, and we fell in love with this space that seemed synchronistic, like the divinity of how we wound up getting the opportunity to rent this space, which was six grand a month. We went from twenty one hundred to six grand a month, <laughs> and the place had literally had their kitchen featured in a magazine. It, it had an ocean view, and I had enough money to pay for my security deposit and first month's rent. I did not have second month's rent. That's a terrible business decision. Just for anyone listening to this, that's a terrible. No financial advisor on the planet is going to tell you to move into a place and have that kind of overhead with no business there was no business. I was a coach. And when I got my next client, I got my next client. That's what it looked like. And yet the absolute truth for me and my partner, not just for ourselves, we sat in ceremony, said, you know, medicines have played a major part in my life. And we consulted the medicine too. And it was a clear, yes, this is the next space to be. And the reason why was what you just said, which is, The opportunity to wake up every day in a space that inspires me, in a space that reflects to me a different reality of what I am a match to, it was an investment. It was understanding that by putting myself in that position each and every day, I would up-level drastically. And I did not know how to pay my next month's rent that caused me to attract more clients it raised my prices launch my first ever group program launch my first ever online course within a year i signed a million dollar contract and so i think that it's not a fake it till you make it thing because if you're lying to yourself ultimately it's not going to work but if you know that you're ready for an expansion sometimes you just got to jump first. You got to take that leap first and figure out how to fly along the way.
0: Just to go another layer deeper, if you're doing it for your ego purpose, right? You're doing it like, oh, people are going to really admire me for living in this house versus you just basically being the executive assistant to your inner consciousness that's saying, hey, that's where you're going to be next. And you're like, okay, well, I don't need to understand all the financials right now. I'm just gonna make it happen because that's what executive assistants do. You just make things happen (laughs) and you just assume they're gonna get sorted out, you know, financially down the line. And I think that's that's really the opportunity there from this story for those of you listening who are who are getting those messages and they're very clear messages, but you're in your head around, oh well, I can't afford it, and you know, all the fear-based reasons and the scarcity consciousness to step out there a little bit on the ledge and just take that leap of faith. And knowing that if you listen to that, and you may have to split test it a little bit, you know, maybe it is your ego saying it and you have to understand, okay, well, that's how my ego sounds. And this is how my inner guidance sounds. And so now I recognize clearly, this is what I, this is the voice I want to listen to.
1: And that's a huge, huge piece to it is the discernment between what is actually your truest guidance, your intuition, and what is ego and and other aspects that learning how to discern that for yourself is one of the greatest skills that you can develop because you make a decision based on ego, thinking it's intuition, but like it's really all ego. Me moving to that home could have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> like it could have wound up really bad. And I think that the only reason it didn't and why it worked out so well is because it wasn't my ego. My ego was trying to get me not to do it. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I just went, I am supposed to do this. I don't know why. And I continue to live my life that way. I take actually a lot of pride in being someone who does things that do not make sense, but are true to what feels like I'm being guided into. And that's led to some of the most beautiful, crazy situations and opportunities that
0: I couldn't have designed. So you've mentioned girlfriends, partners. Since I've known you, you've usually been in a partnership. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about Uh relationships. Here we
1: go. Let's get real.
0: (laughs) Because now you're kind of like, in addition to everything else, you're a relationship expert and/or at least a breakup expert. And I'm curious to hear what, what that actually means. So talk about your evolution or the evolution of your understanding of relationships, where you started and where you are today. Ooh, wow. We have another hour because for instance, Eckhart Tolle talks about, you know, it doesn't even really matter who you're in a relationship with because that's where you're going to do your biggest spiritual growth. So just get in a relationship with anybody and just get to work, roll your sleeves up and get to work. I'm not that evolved yet. I can't just be in a <laughs> relationship with anybody. I think,
1: I think it makes a big difference who you're in relationship <laughs> Maybe with.
0: Maybe the next lifetime, but what's, what's your understanding? I would what's love to see Eckhart's, Eckhart's partnerships. I would love to
1: see that. <laughs> so I do believe that we are in relationship with everyone and everything at every moment. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you and I are in relationship. We're in relationship now. Our relationship deepens because we're going to spend this hour and a half together, right? And there's a time investment and in the conversation. And when it comes to romantic partnership, I was very blessed to have a 10-year relationship from 23 to 33 years old. And that relationship started, I wouldn't just call it completely unconsciously because like I said, I'd, I'd been exposed to personal development early on, but there was no spirituality and it wasn't The type of relationship that I'm in now, if I'm in a relationship, I'm not in a relationship now. I realize I just said that. I'm like the part of me that grew up into a man happened in relationship, and so what was interesting about that is at 33 years old, when the relationship ended, and ended quite suddenly. You know, you know my ex partner, and and you met me while in partnership. The strength of that relationship was something I'd never experienced before and honestly haven't experienced since. And the fact that we both grew into adults together was a very special thing that I'm very grateful for. But it also meant that I didn't know how to be an adult on my own. And I don't mean Mm -hmm. practically. I mean, I didn't know how to love myself. I didn't know how to hold my own heart. And in that relationship, I had offloaded all of that. I had given my heart to her and said, please hold this because I don't know how. And I had never felt lonely. Legitimately, it wasn't until I became really single last year, because I've been single now for almost two years. And I took all of 2021 and I just said, I will not be in a relationship. Because like you alluded to, I have a tendency Towards relationship, I love being in relationship. I do well in relationship, but it also became almost habitual and a crutch. And so, I took all of 2021 off from relationship, and that was the first time I really had to face off with feeling lonely. Just from a pure, you live with someone for nine years every night. It's hey, how was your day? Uh, or like every day, I'm I'm having a tough moment, uh, and you get a hug, or you just get someone to talk to. There's always someone there and I never had to deal with really feeling lonely. So my relationship journey was a really unique one in that sense. Even to this day, a lot of people have never been in a 10-year relationship, especially one that they are conscious in and growing together in. And when that ended, I went into the breakup process. And this is this is why I'm so excited to be releasing my new breakup course, The Art of Breaking Up, is because I didn't know that I entered into a breakup process. I thought you're in relationship and then when you break up you're single. And that's the transition from relationship to single. And what I've learned is after a breakup you enter into one of the most powerful windows of time you will ever have in your life where you dissolve your past, present, and future. It's not usually that. Usually it's just your present and your future. Your past dissolves because the moment that that relationship ends, you're viewing the entirety of your past in that relationship differently. It mm-hmm. all has different meaning suddenly. Who you've been, what they meant to you, what that event, oh there were this flag, like your entire past has just dissolved. <laughs> and so has your present and your future. And that creates a massive opportunity. And unfortunately for me, I didn't know about this. I didn't recognize that this was a breakup process. I was given the opportunity to explore it really deeply because I was told by a voice in my head in meditation to film it all. And literally the morning after the breakup, I got the instructions to film everything and wound up going on to make a reality show about healing from the breakup for a year called The Art of Choosing Love. And that's out on YouTube if anyone's interested. Literally, I had cameras present with me for a year following me on this journey of healing and breakdowns and starting to date again and fall in love again and all of it. Did
0: you hire people to do that or you just carry yeah. tripods everywhere you, you went? No,
1: bro. I had two cameramen and a producer on the road with me. I was directing it and leading it, but I, it was a four of us traveling everywhere.
0: You would just instruct them, hey, whenever you see me going through some emotional stuff, just make sure you record that or would you yeah, prompt I mean, them? It was an hey,
1: evolution. To... It was an evolution. Literally, my only instructions were film everything. That's what mm-hmm. came through in meditation. So I hired cameras. We flew to... Hawaii, Florida, we didn't know what we were making for the first six weeks. Legitimately, mm. I was just filming everything. I had no clue. We didn't put out any content for six weeks. And imagine the cost. That, that sounds expensive.
0: That's what I was just
1: thinking. Oh, bro. Luckily, I'd signed a million dollar contract. <laughs> so legitimately, I was self funding this thing, spending I'd, insane amounts of money just uh. because I got instructions from a voice in my head that said to film everything. And it only in hindsight, did it make any sense, but literally we filmed for six weeks before I ever even knew the name of it or the format of it or anything. And yeah, they traveled around and the agreement was this. We're filming what we're doing. I also was going through, you know, a really exciting time. My poem went viral later that year. I was being invited to speak and perform places. So, like, we were traveling the world. So, there was excitement around the content. On top of that, my agreement with them was the more painful, sad, uncomfortable, awkward that it feels, put a camera on it. I will never, ever tell you that you can't film. And that was my agreement because I needed to know I couldn't hide. I literally could not hide away from the cameras. And that was important for me to be in integrity. So we made that show and you're a personal development geek like I am. Right. So imagine you're actually, cause we're always about two to three weeks behind because we would film. And then we'd have to go back and say, what's the content here? What's the episode about? Uh, we released 20 something episodes of the show and So I'm watching all these different clips and footage of myself in breakdown, three weeks removed from the breakdown itself, having moved it, gone through it. And I'm listening to people, you know, my friends that are filming me ask questions like, what are you feeling right now? Okay, blah, blah, blah. I'm now able to view myself in my breakdowns, articulating what's going on internally. And that allowed me to do this weird inception coaching of myself. I was able to see what was going on in me in a way that I that most humans never get the opportunity to do. Normally, we rely on other people. But because I'd been a coach for so many years at that point, and because my brain, I'm a nerd when it comes to pattern recognition and personal development, for me to be able to point my own brain right at it, but objectively, where I'm no longer feeling that emotional charge, I'm actually just watching myself in breakdown, it was fascinating. And it accelerated my understanding of the breakup process and all these different pieces in a way that it's priceless. And so, yes, it cost me a lot of money, but it was unbelievable. And it's what ultimately has led to years later, putting this all into a course for people because I had to go through it.
0: What are some of the tenets of the art of breaking up in addition to the process of dissolving the past, the present, and the future?
1: It's understanding that you're in the process, first and foremost. And then I break it down into 10 keys for turning your breakup into beauty, which there are five do's and five don'ts that are absolute necessities that I feel like I learned because I ultimately went through three different breakups that all rocked my world in different ways. They all happened in very different ways from feeling like I got cheated on to having being broken up with, and like Mm -hmm. abruptly to a mutual breakup. I got a 360 view of a lot of different types of breakups here. For example, number one key, don't text your ex. That's week one of a 10 week course. And it doesn't have to be forever. The reason why that's the first week and why you need to give yourself a week of no contact is because it's important for you to actually shift into the energy that your healing process is now your number one priority. Hmm. And so many people still try to navigate their own healing journey through the lens of how it would make their ex feel and what, how, how their ex would feel if they blocked them on social media or how their ex might feel if they asked for space. And ultimately underneath that is the part that's still maybe secretly hoping you get back together or the part that is, is not wanting th- to be seen as an asshole and, and being bad-mouthed amongst whatever. But the tethers of someone else need to be cut. There has to be a moment of spaciousness and that moment of spaciousness becomes the foundational act of self-love that will carry you through the process. If you aren't willing to say that my number one priority is actually healing my heart now, my heart, then you're not yet at a place where you can even begin to truly come back into sovereignty and wholeness. And whether or not you're going to get back together with your partner, your ex-partner or not, you do not want to get back together as the same people. Hmm. If you're going to get back together, it will be as two new humans who have grown and learned. And so regardless, you get to disconnect and go on that journey because that's the only journey that would even bring you back together in a healthy way anyways.
0: I know one of the most confusing aspects of breaking up, even if you understand it it is a, it is a process is... How long should this process last? Because what if you get into the space of this? Is, it shouldn't be taking this long for me to get over this person. Am I doing something wrong to slow down the process? Am I getting in my way? There is no answer to that. There
1: is no answer to that. I can only speak to my experience, which is I was in the breakup process for years. And granted, I was in a 10 year relationship. But the reason why I was in the breakup process for years was because. I didn't understand the point of the process. I didn't even realize I was in one. I was constantly trying to get somewhere without taking the time to integrate what this opportunity was. And so my last breakup, how I dealt with it, just FYI, and it was was a very powerful six-month relationship. Just, I love you. I moved out there for her, lived basically to get like, it was really intense. And when it ended, it was the one where she broke up with me abruptly out of nowhere. And I didn't see it coming. And what I did was I went and got a cabin in the woods by myself. And I brought every journal I've kept since 2007. And I said, you have this cabin for six weeks. You are going to do whatever you need to in the six weeks to heal. This is your ceremony. And when you leave, it's complete. And I gave myself that and I applied so much of what I had learned." over the years of being in the breakup process, and I applied it to this time in the cabin, and I emerged from that thing like a freaking phoenix, man. And it really helped me see that you do have the ability to move through a breakup more gracefully, more easily, with less suffering, and honestly, more quickly. If you do the work to become a match to a new timeline. Where people get stuck is they loop and they loop in emotions. They loop in thoughts. They loop in their actions. They can't catch those loops. They don't know how to move the emotion through. They don't have to shift the energy. And that keeps them as an energetic match to their old partnership and Also, to the fact then that their old partnership is no longer there, which is where the pain is. And so, as long as you're a match to your old partner and the fact that that's not a relationship anymore, you're going to be in that suffering. The journey is about actually shifting internally to the point where you're no longer a match to that old partner. That's important you are no longer a match to that old relationship. And so, then when you're no longer a match to that old relationship, suddenly the fact that you're not in it no longer brings about the suffering. Suddenly thoughts of that partner no longer bring about the pain of what could have been. You are now a match to something new. And That process of becoming a match to something new is something that you can do intentionally, consciously. There are exercises, tools. I put them all in this course. All exercises that I did that I then later applied to my third breakup where I went, ah, this actually works. Oh my goodness. And it's taken me a long time to to get up the nerve to put out a course on it. I didn't want to, to be honest, but it just became clear that breakups, Some people never get over them. Some people are derailed for their whole lives. And if I can help people not go through the years that I had to go through, that's why I made the course.
0: Can you give us a teaser of maybe one of the action steps, one of the to-dos? Because you know, like you said earlier, it's one thing to hear it and understand it intellectually, but you have to actually take action in order to enact change. And people talk about the work and do the work. It's a big catchphrase in the personal development community. But what does that actually look like? So here's an example,
1: right? So, for the framework of my course specifically, it's a 10 week course, five do's, five don'ts. And also, every week is broken down into four parts mind, body, heart, and soul. The mind is the analysis, it is a part that is important to understand what happened, what's going on. The body is important because you don't need to understand it. It lives in the body, but you got you to gotta actually get the somatics involved in order to truly heal. The heart is the emotions and getting in tune with what's actually going on emotionally and allowing yourself the space to move that and be present to that. And the soul is the creative expression. I believe that creative expression, obviously as a poet, but just in general, the ability to take what you're feeling internally and express it creatively is one of the most healing things you can possibly do. So every week has those. And I look at week number four, which is a don't, which is don't blame yourself. When we get to week four, we're at that kind of one month mark. Oftentimes we're in that stage of just what we could have done differently and how we screwed up and how we can see it now and blah, 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 blah. And it's important to recognize that you wouldn't blame a child for not knowing calculus. They haven't learned calculus. So why would you get mad at them for not knowing calculus? Well, in a breakup, it's interesting how upset we can get with ourselves for things that we only learned because we went through the breakup. And so why get mad at yourself for not showing up in a way that you literally couldn't until you went through this breakup the breakup is what taught you that to you and so in order to actually embody that new belief and not beat ourselves up for it we do have to move the energy of blame and judgment and shame and guilt we have to move that through and so in that week i have a mind body heart and soul different exercises for each part and for the mind in that week is the forgiveness list. I went into my journal, one of my journals, and I found this entry where I said, I forgive myself for, I forgive myself for, I forgive myself for, I forgive myself for, and I'd written out 20 things. Things like, I forgive myself for not going on walks with her at night. I forgive myself for not putting more energy into our sexual dynamic. I forgive myself for boom, boom, boom. And I was just listed all of these things. And I was doing that intuitively. No one was guiding me. There was no course. There was no anything, but I'd done that and it had helped. And that's an example of one of the things that I know helped me. And I've put it into this course because when you can just acknowledge this list of things that you forgive yourself for, it's also simultaneously a list of all the things that you've learned. And that's part of this course is starting to see that the breakup, there's so much beauty, two sides, there's beauty in it. And one of the real catalysts for actually exiting the breakup process is when you look back on the breakup and the relationship in its totality as beautiful and as a part of your story and as a part of your growth and not being still stuck in it. And it's very hard to move through that if you can't see the beauty. And so even forgiving yourself, which by the way, starting that process, writing that out, tears, beating yourself up, judgment. And then once it's all out, going, whoa, look at all the things that I learned. Mm -hmm. There's the beauty. And so just that one exercise alone kind of shows you more of a fractal of what the entire course is and what the entire process truly is.
0: And I think that also kind of ties into one of the ways you kind of know you're clear, you're in the clear now from the process is that you are genuinely grateful for the experience and maybe even you're happy for the other person to be in whatever experience they're in in that moment in time. What are some of the other indicators that you move through the process, you're in the clear and ready to start something new?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a deeper level of self-love that Mm. happens. Because the reason why rebound relationships are so common is because after a breakup, it's like two circles, right? Where's a Venn diagram. So if you remember school, there's a Venn diagram where there's two circles overlap. There's one human, there's another human, and the middle where they overlap is the relationship. That's the, the shared relationship. As you grow together in a healthier dynamic, both circles are growing which mm-hmm. means that as humans, you are both evolving and expanding, which means that the relationship that you share is growing. Mm-hmm. And when you remove the relationship, it's like the circle's not whole. You remove that middle Vesca Pisces and, and you're looking at that and the circle has to reclose itself. It needs mm-hmm. to come back into sovereignty. And so for a lot of people, myself included, I didn't know how to love myself back into wholeness. Mm. I didn't know how to do that. And so what happened was I found someone who would help love me during that process. I found someone who filled that missing part of my circle that had previously been filled by someone else. And I think that the real growth and the real opportunity for you to have a truly healthy relationship that is the next level of your evolution as a partner and what you're calling in in your life is to remove that relationship recognize that you're an open circle. You're an open loop here and do the work to come back into wholeness for yourself. Close that up, figure out how to hold your heart, figure out how to be lonely and figure out how to get back on purpose, figure out all of these things for yourself. And once you've done that and you've closed that circle up nice and tight, you are once again, a sovereign human that's ready to meet another human and overlap your circles.
0: Beautiful, man. I love that. I want to talk about some of your other offerings. You have your Create Community, you have your Deep Dive podcast with the most epic cover art I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Who shot that?
1: You uh, underwater. My friend, Justin Lutsky is a really talented photographer. We did an underwater shoot and got a little weird. We just like, yeah, I'd love to do a shoot. Let's do it. And we just had a bunch of different outfits. And I mean, it's the deep dive. So what better than underwater?
0: You go into really deep Conversations and topics you talk about, as we were mentioning before. What do you call it? The fuck boy, the conscious. Well, fuck that's boy. actually so.
1: I have two podcasts.
0: Like, I have a okay.
1: deep dive with Adam Roa, which those are usually with a guest. And we, I would love to have you on, by the way, mm-hmm. which is a deep dive question, a question that doesn't necessarily have an answer that mm-hmm. is just explored with me and a guest. Questions like, are men to blame for all of the world's problems? Or does sharing devalue the sacred? This idea of sharing everything on social media, does it make it less sacred? And just exploring those questions, that's what the deep dive is. And then I have Your Too Much with Adam and Taylor, which is the a 22-minute episode podcast where we put a timer on the clock, 22 minutes, and we explore some really taboo areas like the conscious fuck boy and I want to see my husband fuck another woman and parenting versus partnering, you know, about being in relationship and not parenting your partner.
0: I'm like all of those kinds of things. It's a different side of me for sure. There's an ebook that people can purchase and download, treat yourself like someone you love.
1: Yeah. That's ebook is my three tools to make self-love easier. I tell people the tools, which is just meditation, journaling and physical movement. And Mm -hmm the reason why i tell those tools so openly is because it's not about the tools it's about actually shifting your mindset about what those tools are for and how to utilize them that i go into in my ebook and then beyond that i have the art of breaking up the the course that is now out and available and i have all the social medias you know mm-hmm. instagram youtube facebook all of the things, a text message community, and then thecreatecommunity.com, where right now our membership is paused, but we're going to be relaunching probably at the beginning of the year. Where if you want to come and, and be in a conscious community of humans who are all working to, to be their best selves, that's, that's where I'm at.
0: You've had such a diverse life experience, and then having had these little bursts of attention and recognition for your, your talent, how, how are you thinking about success these days?
1: I'm feeling like for me, success, the way I would define it as of today is Mm -hmm. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. It's not even about what I do. It's literally, I don't feel like I have to do anything I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. That to me is kind of my current barometer because I've taken a break from the performer, you know, over the last couple of years. I'm just now getting back on the road and that lights me up and I've stepped into consulting. I think I told you I'm in Laguna Beach doing a consulting, a uh, six-month contract of consulting. And I put my entrepreneur hat in. And I've done a lot of partnerships and different things. And so when you start to consult for other people's businesses, and when you start to collaborate with other humans, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There's a lot of different ideas and there's a lot of different things. And so I'm seeing for myself what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And I'm getting more refined about that. And I think that if I can load my life up just with doing stuff that I, I love to do and like I can earn a living and have a family and provide for my family, just doing stuff that I love, that's success to me. I don't, I don't really have any other metrics than that.
0: Well, look, man, I want to acknowledge you for for being the inspiration to your whole community and to hopefully people who hear this conversation and for continuing to listen to your heart voice, your inner guidance, and just follow it and put out content and go on the road and do all these wonderful things. And I'm honored to be able to consider you a friend. And I look forward to crossing paths again, wherever and whenever that happens. And it's been a long time and I I enjoy watching you you put out there and getting inspired myself. So thank you very much for the way you've been showing up in the world. Bro, I really appreciate that. Thank you. That means a lot. You've been in this game a
1: minute and uh, <laughs> the shine to like all these mm-hmm. other things. Like I really, really also am, have been inspired and admire the community you've built and, and what you do. And it's been so cool to just like the amount of even prep work that you put into this and research is just inspires me to a next level as well, a new reference point, so to speak. And so it means a lot. And I'm going to come visit you in in Mexico city because it's been on my list for a
0: while. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Adam Roa. You can grab a copy of his book, which is called treat yourself like someone you love as well as his Art of Breaking Up course on his website, which is adamroa.com. That's A-D-A-M-R-O-A.com. Also, make sure to follow Adam on social media for more inspiration. You can find him at adam.roa. I'll drop links to everything that Adam and I discussed in the show notes on my website, lightwatkins.com slash show. And if this is your first time listening to The Light Watkins Show We've got incredible archives of interviews with other luminaries, including spoken word artist Saul Williams, spoken word artist NQ, motivational speaker Ed Milette, director Ava DuVernay, chef Marcus Samuelson, author Stephen Pressfield, and many others who who share how they found their path and their purpose. You can also search the interviews by subject matter at lightwatkins.com slash show. So if you only want to see episodes of people who've taken a leap of faith or people who've overcome financial struggles or people who are navigating health challenges. You can get a list of all of that at the drop-down menu at lightwatkins.com/slash show. And if you want to see the interviews, you can go to the YouTube channel. You just go to YouTube, type in Light Watkins Podcast, and you'll see the whole playlist of interviews. You want to put a face to a story. And if you like to hear the raw, unedited, uncut, uncensored version of these podcasts, then you want to join my Happiness Insiders online community. Not only are you going to hear all the false starts and the chit chat at the beginning and the end of the episodes, but you'll also get to listen to the episodes and watch them a day early. They get released on Tuesday. The regular episodes get released on Wednesday. So that's a part of the thehappinessinsiders.com. And you'll also have access to my 108-Day Meditation Challenge along with other challenges and masterclasses that were created to help you become the best version of yourself. And then one way you can support this podcast that's free and super easy, only takes about 10 seconds, is you leave a rating or review. Now, I know a lot of people hear that, but then you don't know exactly how to do that. So let me walk you through the process. It's very simple. Just look at your device. If you're listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, click the name of the podcast, which is in purple, and then it's going to show you eight previous episodes. Scroll down past those eight episodes. You'll see a space with five blank stars. If you found this interview and other interviews very inspiring, click that star all the way on the right, and you have left a five-star rating. And if you want to go the extra mile and leave an actual review, I recommend just typing out the names of one or two episodes that really stuck with you as being super inspiring. So the next person who's looking for podcasts like this knows what episodes to start with in order to get a gist of what this whole thing is about. So thank you very much for that. And otherwise, I look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week with another story about someone just like you and me who took a leap of faith in the direction of their purpose. And until then, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart Keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you so much and have a great day. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at LightWatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, just go to LightWatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.